Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about things that matter in the world of financial services. My name is Rebecca Tomes, and I'm the junior editor at IFA Magazine. And joining me on the podcast today is my co-host and IFA Magazine editor, Sue Whitbread. Hello, everyone. Nice to be on the podcast again. And thanks for tuning in. Uh, We're talking investment today and ESG with our guest, who is fund manager, and it's LGIM's Andre Piok. Andre is a fund manager, uh, but he places a lot of importance on being mindful, which I always think is interesting. He starts the day with a one-mile swim and a cycle to work. And he also lectures on asset allocation at one of London's universities sometimes too. Uh, in the office, he focuses on ESG multi-asset strategies. And of course, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So hi, Andre. Thanks very much for joining us. It's good to have you on the pod. Have you had your swim this morning? I did. I did. So very good to be here. <laughs> Yeah, it's great to have you. And obviously, Sue just mentioned in the intro that you do put a lot of importance on being mindful, which I agree is really interesting and important. And I suppose it comes in handy these days with such interesting market conditions. Uh, That's right. I mean, especially now when markets are so volatile and we're Mm. being confronted with so many news from the get-go, from the very first minute uh, when we log into work in the morning, I think it's really important to find time to step away and take stock of what happened in a week um, so yeah i introduced a few things like technology detox from friday night to saturday night for 24 hours no screens no music and uh, no any form of technology just to reset for the following week wow i, I love that i love that yeah. i might try it myself <laughs> yeah, highly recommend highly recommend it's really it's what keeps me sane <laughs> through these times <laughs> Well, that's a great place to start. So I'm going to move on now to the the world of investment, Andre, and the Future World ESG multi-index range. As a concept, then, I'm interested to know, why did you feel that this was was the right thing to launch when it it was brought to market? Yes, we launched these funds uh, back in 2019. Uh, Now, the first motivation was to help advisors navigate the new regulatory landscape and then help their clients to go further when it comes to tackling issues around climate change uh, or lack of diversity in our workplaces. And that journey definitely gathered pace since then uh, because something that used to be pretty much conceptual uh, in the past now has become experiential for all of us, particularly when it comes to climate change. Now, We do have a tendency to focus on the negatives because we hear a lot of the negative news when it comes to climate. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the report from the UN IPCC last year actually showed that the temperature increase is no longer baked in regardless of what we do. So from the moment we stop increasing emissions, reach that net zero point that a lot of us are talking about these days, we will see the stabilization in temperature. And that's something that will happen within our lifetime. So it's a lifetime of an investor. It's also within my professional career. Uh, so that's a great boost to my personal motivation as portfolio manager to 
be involved in this area and play play my part and also encourage investors to play their part as well. Um, I mean, this area is still quite new. Uh, it is faced with few challenges. Uh, it's highly scrutinized. So there's still a lot of skepticism or accusations of greenwashing. Yeah. For me, the key challenges here really are first, that it's still confusing to end investors. Uh, it's also not always clear how it will impact performance and it usually costs more. But ultimately, if we want investors to pay attention, we need to first pay attention to our investors. Uh, and that is pretty much the mantra that's always on my mind when we manage these funds. So yes, provide the material ESG benefit, uh, but also make use of the tools that served advisors and their clients for years already. So tools like diversification, cost effectiveness, active asset allocation. Like there's no reason why ESG multi-asset funds need to sacrifice any of these uh, and ESG investors shouldn't expect any less. I think that's quite insightful. Yeah, thanks for that, Andre. Yeah. So can you give us a bit of an overview of the future world ESG multi-index range and tell us really what it's all about? Uh, sure. Uh, so it's five funds. They target five distinct risk profiles. Uh, and funds will tilt away from companies that do not do enough to tackle climate change, but remain broadly diversified across asset classes, sectors, geographies, or types of the fixed income or bond exposures that we hold. Uh, now, obviously, that's something that served us well this year because we avoided some of the implicit biases or concentrated positions that might have left some ESG investors vulnerable in the current market environment. And working at LGM, I'm also fortunate to have access to a wide range of LNG ESG building blocks uh, at my disposal when we build the asset allocation. Uh, so that's either ESG index fund, uh, which will be powered by our very own LGM ESG score that will then be used to tilt traditional market cap weighted indices or ESG active funds, uh, which will use different types of tools, but with the same idea to again enhance this ESG credentials. So then we wrap it all up uh, together, ensuring diversification, and then building asset allocation in such a way that it will target a specific risk profile that will then help advisors match our funds with the risk appetite of their clients. Can we pan out a little bit now then, Andre, to the, the big picture stuff? Uh, and I wonder how are macro events shaping asset allocation within the fund range there? So I think it's important to remember that the macro events are just as important for ESG multi-asset strategies as for any traditional multi-asset funds. It's not the case that ESG investors somehow become magically immune to all other types of financial risks the moment they express their stronger ESG preference. So I think for us as fund managers, we really need to stay on top of, of course, that ESG improvement or ESG impact, but also stay on top of inflation and recession risks. Uh, so in practice, when we speak to advisors about these funds, yes, we first need to demonstrate how we address these long-term ESG risks, but always in the context of other portfolio risks, such as liquidity, inflation, or 
risks around the economic cycle. Now, what it means for the funds today is never forgetting about the importance of diversification, especially when we see that the traditional 60-40 portfolio could be challenged in the current market environment. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, use things like uh, alternative diversifiers. Uh, so things that are not having that high correlation with equities and bonds. So things like social purpose REITs, renewable infrastructure, which often has that explicit inflation linkage, uh, or our addition to forestry companies. Another interesting diversifier, very long-term in nature, and helps you when that co-behavior between equities and bonds suddenly goes up. Mm, well, that's interesting. That is a diff that is a very alternative alternative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Good I think I think this environment just is more challenging for uh, asset managers in general. We just need to. It's not that the diversification is dead. It all that it means is that fund managers need to work harder to seek it out rather than just relying on traditional asset classes. Yeah. It's it, it's that it's the thought process, isn't it? As you say, just a different mm. way of thinking. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Well, uh, my next question is, how does the team use Elgym's ESG and index investment expertise to inform this asset allocation? Yeah, so you can think of the Future World ESG multi-index funds as a love child, if you like, of two teams within LGM, the <laughs> asset allocation and investment stewardship. Uh, so the asset allocation team uh, will drive everything from portfolio construction, dynamic asset allocation, ensure that inflation protection in the funds as well. And then investment stewardship team and their expertise will drive the design of various ESG tools, such as LGM ESG score, then underpin our ESG index building blocks. Now, sometimes we work really closely together. For example, when we designed our basket of forestry stocks, we wanted to make sure that we actually reach out to all these companies and ask for all the required certific certifications when it comes to deforestation. Uh, and investment stewardship team was very helpful in putting us in touch with all these companies um, and then also setting the right standard for them. Uh, and then the whole ESG approach, we summarize with our three E's of enforce, enhance, and engage. The first E of enforce is all about the exclusion list. So enforcing an exclusion list means that some sectors like coal miners or controversial weapons simply have no place in our funds. Enhance, the second E is all about enhancing the ESG credentials by tilting towards companies with better ESG score. And then the finally engage, just as relevant for our traditional multi-index funds as for future world ESG range. We really need to make sure that we stand up to that challenge and engage with companies and make sure that they do change their behavior. Uh, we have a very strong view on engagement versus divestment we worry that a simple divestment uh, is not the solution. And while it's harder and more challenging to engage, it is probably the only way to see material change in how companies operate. Mm. 
Well, I must confess, Andre, I have never ever heard uh, multi-index funds described as a love child before. But I. Uh, certainly made it made me smile that way uh, so multi-asset is clearly a really important tool in the toolbox for advisors these days uh, I wondered if you could just maybe remind us of LGM's five pillars of multi-asset yeah so it's something that we started thinking about already 10 years ago uh, on the back of RDR when we launched the first multi-index range uh, back in 2013 and it was on the back of the conversations that we had with clients and advisors at the time, when we asked what are the things that you're looking for uh, in an efficient multi-asset proposition. And the things that came time and time again was suitability. So we made sure that every fund in the range will be risk targeted to help advisors ensure that ongoing suitability. Cost effectiveness, because unfortunately costs are still the only guarantee in the world of investing, unlike mm -hmm. the performance. Uh, so we need to make sure that everything that we do keeps these fees and charges uh, in check. Dynamic asset allocation, it will be the primary driver of uh, the risk and return in the funds. So we want to make sure that the funds benefit from the expertise of LGM asset allocation team. I think that's particularly important these days as 2022 is certainly a test for many asset allocation teams in the city and having a well-resourced team certainly helps. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then diversification. Uh, at the heart of everything that we do, you hear from the name multi-index, we will use primarily index building blocks, but that helps you avoid those concentrated positions, whether it's geography or sector or individual stocks. And then in 2019, there was another fifth pillar added to the multi-asset funds. And it was, again, very much driven by the questions from advisors and clients around what LGM is doing around active ownership and engagement. And there is an expectation that we, as an industry, we just need to do more as stewards of our clients' investments and engaging rather than sitting on the fence. And we have a strong commitment to never abstain uh, on any uh, share or any vote uh, that we have a chance to vote on across the entire uh, LGM holding. So bringing it back to our listeners, is obviously there who matter. How do you see the fund range meeting the needs of advisors and their clients? First thing is that increasing regulatory demands on advisors. Uh, so when we designed this range, we wanted to offer something in an accessible format that will help advisors meet their clients' financial objectives, reflect the risk appetite, and now also meet their sustainability requirements. We're fortunate to have European regulators slightly ahead of what's happening here in the UK. So we had the MIFID II regulation uh, coming live just last month. Yeah. Uh, and we expect UK to likely follow a similar idea essentially expecting advisors to integrate sustainability preferences within that wider suitability assessment. Um, now, the other aspect, I think it will be costs and fees on the funds. Now, us using those index portfolio building blocks definitely helps in achieving two goals around diversification and cost effectiveness. 
And luckily, the emergence of index investing for ESG helped to lower that average fee for ESG multi-asset peers. Now, when our analysis has shown that since 2017, that average fee on ESG multi-asset funds have dropped by around 20 basis points, while the fee on other risk-targeted or funds of index funds barely moved over that same period. That's good. So I think that's, a, that's going to be a very welcome mm. development for advisors out there. Mm. Do you think um, that's going further down? Or I mean, the there? fee pressure is always there. Uh, I think the big driver behind what we see in ESG is the introduction of that index way of investing uh, that can ensure the ESG benefit, but without sacrificing diversification. So I think if that adoption of index strategies continues, we could still see uh, a decrease in that average fee. Fair enough. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, and it's an interesting conversation with you today, Andre, I must say, um, mm. it's something we ask all our guests, isn't it, Bex, that <laughs> if, if we were to give you the power to, to change one thing in financial services, uh, only one thing, uh, <laughs> yes, I, I just wonder, what might that be? I think, I think it will come down to bringing new talent into our industry. Mm. I mean, we already see that happening when it comes to recognition of the importance of cognitive diversity, but mm -hmm. we really need new talent, new energy, new yeah. way of thinking to mm -hmm. really challenge how we used to do things or how we used to think about investments in the past. Now I'm chairing the LGBT network for legal and general. Uh, so I've already quite involved in diversity and inclusion, uh, but I think we need a wider acceptance from the industry that this is something that will really help all of us and ultimately also our clients as it will lead to better investment decisions. Uh, so I think that aspect of cognitive diversity is something that our industry would benefit from. And the sooner we can make that step and that change, the better for us. Yeah, I agree. I love that answer. <laughs> oh, and we find, don't we, Bex, that IFA magazine listeners and readers to the website particularly really respond positively to yeah. when we're posting opinions and blogs on diversity and inclusion. They are so popular. Absolutely. I think everyone's calling out for more diversity and inclusion, yeah. to be honest. Mm. Yeah. So that's, I'm really yeah. interested that that was the thing that you would pick out. So I hope you're right, Andre. <laughs> I mean, it's already changing. When I joined, so I moved from, I'm originally from Poland, uh, studied in Italy, and then moved to London in 2009. Our industry was very, very different uh, oh, back in yeah. 2009. Uh, so it's great to see that change happening, but we can probably accelerate it further. Yeah, I, I would agree. I joined the industry in 1980s. Can you imagine what it was like then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Thanks so much to Andre for joining us on the podcast this week. And thanks to all of our listeners out there for tuning in. We really do hope you found it interesting and useful. And don't forget to tune in again for next week's edition of IFA Talk. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast and value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. 
you may not get back the amount you originally invested.